It's time for another edition of Mets Musings. Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. I'm your host, Gary Mack, and I am so pleased tonight. We've got a great guest for you. He's a return guest, but always fascinating discussion. His name is David Krell. He is an author, and he's the author of 1962, Baseball America in the Time of JFK, and the New York Mets in Popular Culture. Uh, David, welcome back to Mets Musings. Thank you, Gary. Great to be back. Uh, David, we're coming up on the Mets now, the 60th anniversary. They started in 62. Your book covers a lot about the start of the Mets and and the cult 45s as well as right. what was going on in uh, the uh, the country at the time. Uh, tell us a little bit about that uh, hectic year. Well, it was a year of progress. Uh, for those who remember, there was optimism. We were more or less unified. I don't think you're ever 100% unified, but... Uh, the country was full of optimism. The space program was moving forward. John Glenn became the first American astronaut to orbit the Earth. We sent three astronauts that year in the Mercury missions. And if you look at Hollywood, Gary, Hollywood was breaking ground. Some really interesting things happening. To Kill a Mockingbird, Days of Wine and Roses with alcoholism. Uh, they were raising questions and issues that really hadn't been discussed in cinema beforehand. And with regards to our beloved blue and orange, it was about time we had a National League team. And you know the story. Uh, William Shea was trying to get a team planted there. It was originally going to be the Continental League with Branch, Branch Rickey. Uh, that imploded. But through that implosion, we got four expansion teams, the Mets and the Colt 45s being two of them. Yeah, and of course, and and in your book, you go through how they came about, and of course, there's some interesting stuff about uh, uh, Judge Roy Hafheins uh, in there and the Cult 45s and and the part he had to play with all of that, and uh, eventually they became the Astros. For those that may not realize that, right. uh, and and of course the Mets, and and uh, you speak about. Uh, uh, Joan Payson a lot, and as you just mentioned, William Shea, and two important figures in Mets history, and yet, yes, they are in the Mets Hall of Fame, but that's about all right. the recognition that they've gotten from the Mets, and, and I think it's kind of lacking. How do you feel about that? Well, I think Mr. Cohen has taken a massive leap forward in restoring nostalgia, because the Mets are a team of memory. It's a team of nostalgia and uniquely so. I was listening to WFAN the other day and I was shocked to learn that the Mets had not had Old Timers Day in nearly 30 years. 
Wow. So my hope is that we highlight some of these players. We highlight William Shea, Joan Payson, even Casey Stengel. And we highlight the moments of the past 60 years. If you run into a Yankees fan, they'll say, oh, you're still riding high on 69 and 86. But we have 60 years of great moments. Now, maybe we didn't get to the World Series every time, and maybe we don't have as many rings as other teams, but there were still some really great moments, even in the Valley of 77 to 84 after Tom Seaver was traded to Cincinnati. There were some high moments in 79, 80, 81, 82. Uh, I, I don't know why we haven't, as a fan base, uh, perhaps screamed harder for this, but Mr. Cohen is a Mets fan. I hope he goes further. I hope he brings back Banner Day. I hope he brings back Homer the Beagle. I hope that he uh, redoes the rotunda, redo it, redo it. You can honor Jackie Robinson, but you can also have a mural or uh, a mural of photographs or artwork depicting Nolan Ryan and John Matlack and Jerry Kuzman and Lee Mazzilli and Dave Kingman and Felix Mion. Uh, there are so many great players in our history that uh, they deserve to be honored and remembered. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I feel that there should be some uh, uh, more recognition I know the 62 teams and the 63 and 64, 65 with right. terrible teams. But without the 62 team and the 63 team, there would be no Mets. And spot on. Spot they, on. They, they really laid the foundation of the fans right. uh, that today have grandchildren and children that they brought up as Mets fans. Right. And I think, you know, Ron Hunt should be in the Mets Hall of Fame. The right. first all-star uh, selected, uh, first uh, elected to be a starting uh, player on, on the all-star team. And, and yet there's hardly a mention of him around the city field or in the Mets history, you know? There's, uh, there's no mention of Joan Payson. And there's no mention of William Shea, except for that bridge that takes you about 10 seconds to walk across. But these <laughs> are people who, who really believed that New York needed a team. It, what, Joan Payson did not need in an, another investment in her portfolio. She truly loved baseball. And you mentioned Roy Hoffheinz. I think they should go in together. Roy mm -hmm. Hoffheinz would be an amazing pick for the Hall of Fame for what he did in Houston in foreseeing the Astrodome, air-conditioned stadiums to, uh, to block out the heat, especially in, in Houston where it gets awfully muggy. And to, to take those two giants who are somewhat lost to history I think that that would be a really honorable thing for baseball to do. Yeah. And, and the men should be honoring. We're finally getting in a, yeah. a statue of Tom Seaver, but we really should have one of Joan Payson. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, and her, for, for people who don't know, she's the first owner of the Mets and she wasn't just, she was an owner. I mean, she yeah. was at, every game i can remember as a kid watching tv yeah. and she was always there and she sat next to the dugout she had a box they didn't have suites back then owners sat in a box in in with people i mean right. 
you know, and she was there all the time. And uh, anybody that don't believe it, go back and watch old films. Go back and right. watch the uh, the highlight film from the World Series in '69. She's present there. Uh, you can see there's pictures of her in in the polar grounds, talking, yeah. leaning over, talking to Casey Stengel. Remember those pictures right. you, you've seen as kids? Absolutely. And really should have a statue or or more recognition other than what she currently has with the Mets. And she did an honorable thing in bringing Willie Mays to the Mets when Mr. Stoneham couldn't really afford to keep him in San Francisco. Joan Payson wanted him to play out the rest of his career in the city that loved him, mm -hmm. and where he got his start. And I don't think Willie Mays, from what I've read, ever really felt comfortable in San Francisco. But bringing him back, yes, was it a nostalgia play? Yes. Was he as fast as he was in years gone by? Absolutely not. But there was a thrill at seeing him suit up again. And to do it in a, in a pinstriped uniform with an NY on his cap was, was just a marvel for anyone who was around at that time whom I've interviewed they said it was just a joy to see him, even if he had faded a little bit. Mm -hmm. I I've, I saw him play as a uh, as a giant in his yeah. prime, I guess, in, in the early '60s, and and he was awesome. And by the time he did get to the Mets, there was flashes. Let's say right. uh, it, it, a lot of it was gone, but there were flashes of greatness there, and yeah. it was a thrill and. Uh, you know, we don't see that. And you had talked about Cohen bringing back events. The Mets have announced that they're bringing back Old Timers Day. That should be a great thing. I hope they bring back some of these guys that are, are you know, getting up there. Jay Hook, for instance, first right. Met to win a game. Uh, you know, bring back some of those guys. Frank Thomas is still alive. I don't think... He, I don't know if he travels. I, he, he's rather up there. I think he's in his 90s, so I don't know what kind right. of shape he's in. Uh, but those kind of guys, and, and you mentioned a uh, guy like Felix Mion. Oh, my favorite. My favorite. Terrific player. He was, uh, you know, number 17 before 17. And and he should be included in this, this retirement ceremony. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't see why they can't retire it for two guys and let them both share it. Uh, you know, it, it, um, it's a very it's a very tricky thing. And I don't know what the planning is, certainly, in, in how to determine whose number gets retired. Jerry Kuzman was such a force in that 69 World Series. Mm -hmm. I think that's what convinced people of the argument. Hey, we have to we have to let him in. We have to do something because right. we don't have a hall of famer in our past. We don't have a player on the Mets who's going in as a Met. I mean, that, that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. We thought maybe David Wright, but injuries stopped that from happening, stopped him from pursuing further numbers that would have gotten him in. Not that he was pursuing the numbers, but if he had played five more healthy seasons, he probably would have gotten to the level where he would merit serious consideration. So mm -hmm. we have to find an alternative way to highlight these, these players. Yeah. And, and uh, we're doing it. 
I don't know if Keith Jimenez can ever get into the Hall of Fame, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, don't I know if the no, yeah, yeah. I think he can. If Gil Hodges Hopefully. got in, if Gil Hodges got in, I don't think it will take as long a period of time for Keith to be recognized for his leadership and also for his output. I mean, integrity, leadership, those are skills that haven't been really mentioned or targeted in years past when the Hall of Fame discussion comes about. But in all of the literature that I've read about the 1980s Mets, Keith was the defining force that said, we're, we're gonna be professional, we're gonna be tough, we're going to give 100%, none of this just you know galloping around, we are going to do the best that we possibly can. And I, I mean, you've read the same books I have, and you've heard the same players interviewed. They all point, Doc Gooden points to Keith, and Keith would come to the mound and settle him down if he got into trouble. That's invaluable. It's absolutely mm -hmm. invaluable right. to have a player on that team who can take charge. And he had already done that to an extent in, in, um, in St. Louis, but in New York's a much bigger stage and there was more at stake when we had the 86 team. Um, and, he, and he had also, he also saw postseason glory in 82. So he knew about pressure situations. He knew how to respond. He knew how to prepare. He knew how to come back from a from a letdown. And and he has an MVP on his resume. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know the uh, what was it eleven or thirteen gold gloves he's got. Yeah. So I mean he's got the resume. I think the only thing that hurts him was he wasn't a power hitter in that position. Right. And uh, his lifetime average was uh, 298 or 299. It just fell short. And oh. he curses the year that he played in Cleveland because of well, that. Uh, well, I, 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 get, I get pushed back from friends of mine when I mentioned Steve Garvey. Similar numbers, 294 mm -hmm. lifetime batting average. But the NL's Ironman played 162 games for several seasons. And I think as time goes on, where we're getting more sophisticated in our interpretation of statistics and what they mean, I think these guys will start meriting serious consideration where they hadn't before. Because I would talk to people at the Mets 50th anniversary conference at Hofstra, and that's when I first heard about Keith Hernandez possibly being a Hall of Famer. I said, gee, you know, that, that's really interesting. Let me look at his stats. It's become more a part of the conversation in the past couple of years. Uh, you do. You mentioned Steve Garvey, and, I, you know, I've always been surprised that he was not in the Hall of Fame. He was such a dominating player in a long period of time. It was not right. a short period. You know, like Mattingly dominated the game, but it was in a right. shorter period of time than Garvey did, and he did it with two teams, really, yeah, um, I'm really surprised, and he's got some uh, World Series champion and and under his belt and other things. But um, I I've always been surprised that he did not make it. And yet Harold Baines gets in, so maybe you know Steve yeah. Garvey someday will get in. I, I think so, and I I think as we keep having these conversations, Gary, you'll start to see more owners like Pace and Hoffines be mentioned because they are not in the, they don't really engender a lot of passion 
no one's vying for an owner to get in except people like us. But when you think about the owners who really dedicated themselves to baseball, Charles Ebbets is not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that is a travesty. <laughs> that is embarrassing. Yeah. Because anytime you talk about the 1950s, including the Rotunda, Ebbets Field is always shown. It's the shrine to 1950s baseball. It's the right. shrine to the golden age. It's all over Ken Burns' documentary. It's in every book. It's on the cover of my book about the Brooklyn Dodgers. And for him not to be in the hall is ridiculous. He gave up half his ownership just to get the stadium built. He sold off 50% because he said, I'm not going to backstab the people of Brooklyn. They've been good to us. So we have to be good to them. We're going to get this ballpark built. And he gave up 50%. No owner today would do that. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize that he wasn't in, but as you say, yeah, owners. Uh, how about Horace Stoneham? Is he in? No. And there's a wonderful biography out right now, 40 yes. Years of Giant, which just won a, a terrific award from Sabre, uh, the Seymour Medal. And it is a, a fantastic piece of work. And it's a, a well-needed and overdue biography about the Giants owner. And it puts him in a new light. And I think when time passes, you will see some discussion about Stoneham as well. Because he, he made that move with Mr. O'Malley. And Stoneham easily could have gone to Minnesota. He had a fan base there mm -hmm. with the Millers, the AAA yes. Millers. But... Right he decided to go with Mr. O'Malley and they set up California baseball, uh, brought it to the West coast. And I think you will see him at some point. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the, um, we have the stories of, about him being a drinker and the, uh, you know, and I think that kind of, uh, puts a shadow over him, uh, and getting fooled into uh, candle, you know, uh, going to Candlestick Park and right. uh, all of that, and that but, they didn't, and that they didn't really win a lot of titles. That's a, that's another thing that if, right, you, if right. you win, people will forgive almost anything. Mm -hmm. And I, they had great teams, great players, McCovey, Ada. I mean, when you're doing the Stratomatic Hall of Fame edition. <laughs> Uh, McCovey is my my first pick always, always. <laughs> they they did have some great teams, even even the, the uh, you know uh, Jim Ray Hart and uh, uh, you know Gaylord Perry and, and right. for a spell they had they had terrific ball players out there. The Alou brothers just couldn't uh, uh, they couldn't get it done uh, in in those days, but. Uh, well, I, I've, talked to, I've heard players talk about candlestick and I've talked to players who played in the American league and the AL players, players didn't like Oakland. The NL players didn't seem to like candlestick with the wind. Mm -hmm. They said that Oakland would get cold at night. It was tougher to throw the ball. It was tougher to hit the ball. So look, it, it became a, an icon for San Francisco, but was it a great ballpark? Uh, I don't, I don't think even Giants fans who are diehard were classified as a great ballpark, <laughs> but it was home. Was Shea a great stadium? Was it a great ballpark? It was home. 
It's where you oh. went to see your team play. It didn't really matter. The Coliseum, I mean, by today's standards, we're hoping that Oakland gets a, a waterfront stadium. They've deserved it for so long. The Coliseum is way out of date, but to diehard Ace fans, it's home. That's their home. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mention that because we, we hear so much about Tampa Bay too, how bad oh. Trop Field is. Oh my god! And yet, uh, my brother lives down there, and he goes to the Tampa Bay games once in a while. And I asked him, "What are you thinking about the stadium?" He says, eh, "It's okay. It's yeah. you know, it's nothing special, but it's okay. You know, uh, it's comfortable enough." So. Uh, I, I guess, like you said, if it's your home, it's your home, and, and you exactly. really don't uh, uh, care. And, you know, Shea Stadium, now, how many people rem- remember it fondly? Right. Uh, hated it because of the bathrooms and the flooding. And, and if and, you were back under the overhang, it cut off your vision of, <laughs> of half the field. And then yeah. as it got as it got into the later years of existence, I think they just gave up on the jumbotron because it was all fuzzy and <laughs> unclear. And I, I, my guess is the Wilpons just funneled their money into City Field at that point. Yeah but, yeah. but when you see the 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 exterior with the blue and orange panels, you get a little twinge of excitement because that oh that's where I went. That's what I watched. I watched Kinder's Corner. I listen to Bob Murphy on the radio and he was talking from there. It's your home. There's no place like home. That's right. And uh, look, I had the biggest thrill. I was there for a night game when the slideshow thing actually worked on the, on the <laughs> top of the, the scoreboard. There was a little, there was, well, it wasn't little, but it, to us, it's, it looked little from a distance. It was a square what would you say, a square box, part of the scoreboard. And uh, in later years, it just had the Mets logo. If anybody remembers Shea Stadium, the Mets logo. But that was actually meant as a uh, projection screen, I guess you would call it, where they showed a still picture of the players. And they never, it never worked right. Uh, But I happened to be there in a night game when it worked. Early on, when uh, Shea opened in 64, and, uh, you know, it was like an amazing bit of technology then. Um, My favorite memories of Shea, I was there on Father's Day when David Wright hit the Grand Slam, and I was there at a game when Reyes hit an inside-the-park home run. And those are the two most exciting things I've ever seen in baseball. Yeah. (laughs) It's Alive. Alive. In, in actual attendance at a game. Right, right. Well, I I was there many times uh, as a kid growing up in Queens. You know, we'd just hop on the subway. Yeah. And you could go to a game. It was a buck fifty for the grandstand seats. You could sit it in the early days. You could sit anywhere you wanted to. And uh, I can remember going on a Saturday. Nobody wanted to go with me. I don't know. I had to be... Um, 15 or something, 14 years old, hopped on the subway and uh, went, grabbed a couple sandwiches from home, hopped on the subway, went to a game. It was old timers day. I wanted to go old timers day. And uh, it was, uh, I can remember the uh, big poison and little poison from Pittsburgh, the Wayner brothers, brothers. 
and uh, they'd have all these old guys and um you know, I, I was just thinking when when they said when they announced this year's All Timers Day, we thought those guys were so old and they played in the thirties. It was only right. like thirty years right. or something. Exactly. I, I was just saying that to someone today that MeTV Plus airs these great cop shows from the sixties and seventies, and I was watching the Mod Squad, and I said, <laughs> "Oh, this episode's from nineteen seventy-two. Well, that's not that far back." Right. And then I realized it's 50 years ago. 50 that would years be, ago. That would be like in 1972 <laughs> if you were watching silent movies from 1922. Exactly, exactly. But our time, the way we, I guess, interpret time is different because it's the, the television shows, the memories of these baseball games, they're so ingrained in our memories. Right. You remember them so vividly. So it doesn't seem like time has passed and not to get all kind of overly sentimental, but time (laughs) does stand still when you see these guys. Yes, they're older, they're grayer, they may walk with a limp, but it, it does stand still because when you see them come out for old timers day, you immediately go back to Felix Mian choking up at the bat or Matt Leck, Kuzman Seaver, that, that, three-pitcher lineup that was just so formidable and so dominant. Uh, Sieber with his right knee touching the, the dirt. Uh, mm-hmm. People will remember Matlack giving up Roberto Clemente's 3,000th hit. But there's something special. That's what baseball is. It's, uh, it's a memory that gets handed down from generation to generation. And when you see players whom your father watched live, when the kids today are seeing, going to see players whom their parents and grandparents watched, there's something that's needed right now with baseball, especially with this lockout. We need a reminder of how special it is because if we don't advance that and don't underscore it, then the game will be just lost and will fade away. And I know people have often said that in years gone by, but we didn't have the abundance of choices that we have now. Right. Right. We didn't have cable. Um, right. We didn't have nothing. The game, even in, in within baseball, the game was on a game of the week. Right. Uh, you know, you didn't get every game. Uh, you might get a Saturday and a Sunday game and maybe a game during the week. And the best uh, show was this week in baseball. Because that was mm-hmm. the only time that you got to see the other teams and the right. highlights of the other teams. And here you you can see them pretty much at will, especially if you have the package on MLB. But aside from that, Gary, I, I just think there's so many entertainment options that are interfering. And baseball has always, as you know, and we've talked about this, it's been evolutionary. It hasn't been revolutionary. And I don't know what they're going to do to capture this younger fan base. And I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. I was at a law school reunion about 10 years ago. And a friend of mine is a Phillies fan. I went to Villanova Law School. And I congratulated him on the World Series. And I said, you know, baseball is dying. And he said, you know, by every metric, baseball is stronger than it's ever been. TV ratings, merchandising. I said, well... A lot of that is because of international broadcasting. 
that they want to take it global. And the merchandising, yeah, if you sell 17 different colors of your team's hat, <laughs> someone's going to buy it. And then I asked him, I asked him, I said, you have kids. How many games did your kids watch all the way through? None. How many games did they watch till the fifth inning? None. It went on too long. So how many games did you watch full? Full nine. Full nine innings. None. Well, then how can you tell me that it's stronger? I might not have been allowed to stay up to watch the whole nine innings. And granted, back then, games did not last as long. Because right. you didn't have batters stepping out of the batter's box, adjusting their batting gloves every two seconds right. after every pitch. But I was able to watch some. I do remember watching some of these games. But if the kids are just going to watch it on their uh, iPad or just reduce it to statistics, then the, the passion, the love, the romanticization, if that's even a word, the romantic qualities about baseball is it's going to be lost. And that's why old timers day, people can say it's just a way to make money. It's not just a way to make money. It's a way to connect people with the past of the sport and with the past of the team. And the Mets historically have not really been at the forefront. And as soon as Mr. Cohen took ownership and I found out he was a Mets fan, I said, this guy is going to revolutionize things. He didn't get to be where he is by just theorizing all the time. He's going to come up with a plan with his team and he's going to execute it. And like I said, I hope that this is the first action of many to restore the connection between the fans and the nostalgia of the team. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I really do. And I like your ideas, the banner day. I'd like, this, like them to bring back, I don't know if you remember camera day, for no. instance. They used to have a camera day. In fact, I've got pictures. I found some of my father's old 35 millimeter slides, and and uh, it was from camera day, I think, 1964. And okay. what they did was they let you into the lower uh, stands, and the players would walk around, and you could yell at them, and yeah. some of them would stop and wave and say, you know, look at you, and... And right. I know they, they, they did it in later years, and I think they allowed you on the field, and they were at a table, and, and you could take a picture. Um, those are the kind of things I think they need to bring back because we're losing. Yes, I know there's a lot of problems with security nowadays yeah. and nut jobs. But we're losing that connection with the peep, with the players. Um, the younger people may get it a little bit more because they – they feel like they've got a connection to through social media, through Twitter. Uh, but for us older people, we, we're losing that connections to the player. I, I actually s sat here one day and thought about last year's team and really uh, during the season. And I said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, there's really not one guy that I really like on that I could say, you know, I want to root for him or I'd buy his jersey if I was young. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, right. Like a Gary Carter or Mike Piazza when he was here or uh, 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 an Al Jackson or something like that in the past. There was nobody that I, I said, really, I don't like Lindor. I, I, I don't like Baez. It's very tough now, Gary, because... 
players do not stay with their teams as often as they once did. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, uh, players have been traded since there was baseball. That's just a part of the game. And I remember, I think it was the 74 baseball card set where you would get a picture of a player on a, on a baseball card and it would say traded. So you knew who was traded where. And that's, I, th I thought that was pretty cool, right? Because then, then you can chart where everyone's going. Right. But Felix Mion was primarily with the Braves and the Mets. Uh, William McCovey was primarily with the Giants. I know he played with the A's and I think he played with the Padres. Yes. But you were able to develop relationships or followings with these teams for several years. And that's another thing that's been lost. There's so many, so many things that have been lost. The, the, uh, the relief pitchers, using three relief pitchers in one inning, I, I, that's just foreign to me. That, and is, you that don't, is just foreign. You don't know who half of them are because they move them up and down so often that you really, you know, uh, uh, again, there's no Luis Arroyo with the lifesaver. Remember Whitey right. Ford back in, in the 60s with the Yankees. Right. A Skip Lockwood or a, right. a, a, a Ron Taylor with the Mets, you know. There's no connection to these people. And, right. and I think that's where the game is, is uh, got to go back to. Unfortunately, I think the commissioner is is – I don't think he likes the game of baseball, and I'm not sure he knows the history of baseball. And I, I think he's all about making money for the owners, and that's it. Well, making money is how you keep these teams afloat, and I, I have absolutely no problem with that. I encourage no, neither do, Right. But I, I would like to see baseball as a whole get back to this nostalgia because the country's never needed it more. After the two years we have just spent, we need to feel good. And it takes a cohesive effort. Um, and it comes from the top. It comes from the owners, comes from the commissioners mm -hmm. to or the commissioner and his team to figure out a marketing plan to get people. You and I will always watch games or go to games, but there, there are fan bases that are being lost across the country. Now you can say, well, we have film type screens or, you know, the, the, the screens yeah. that we have. Remember when you were a kid, if, if somebody had a 27 inch television on your block, that was a rich person. So that, was a, that was a big, that was a big screen at 27 inch. I mean, if your parents had a 19 inch, like that was, that was good. But a 27 inch, now we have 60 inch screens. And it's like going to a movie because of the aspect ratio. Uh, you have other opportunities in entertainment, uh, in, in sports, uh, basketball, football, hockey. They've all raised their respective levels in terms of marketing. I think with baseball, one thing that's challenging, it's 162 games. It's really, really drawn out. But by the same token, they're going into November with the world series and that is unthinkable that you're you're going to play in a world series and you can see the breath coming out of your mouth that's going to be 40 degrees that's just 
ridiculous. And yeah. it, what's going to happen, I'm telling you now, it's, what's going to happen is you're going to have a World Series where it, the team is from Detroit or Cleveland or Milwaukee or, or Minnesota or New York, and there will be a blizzard. There will be a freak November blizzard <laughs> that will force a postponement, and you're going to see the World Series played in mid-November. All right. They're, they're not thinking this through, and it, it, it's all for making more money, but there's a point where it's just absurd. When you have playoffs after playoffs after playoffs, let's just make the whole season a playoff. Let's start the playoffs in August because they, they don't want to do double headers. If they did double headers throughout the year, you wouldn't have this problem of playing the World Series in November. Mm-hmm. You simply wouldn't have it. But they don't want to do double headers because no one comes to the ballpark. Well, they don't come to the ballpark because it's three hours long, and it's three hours long because of some of the things we mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'm contributing games to the Saber Games Project. I'm working on one right now about the Mets opening day in 1973. Tom Seaver was the pitcher for the Mets. Steve Carlton was the pitcher for the Phillies. The time that the game took was an hour and 56 minutes. If you get two hours, 56 minutes today, that's what's expected. An hour 56 is not expected. And I'm not even talking about TV commercials that they put in there. I'm I'm talking about the delays caused by walks around the mound, the rosin bag, uh, the, the, the players adjusting the batting gloves, re-gripping the bat. They didn't do that years ago. No, they, they got the ball and they threw it. Exactly. And they dug in and uh, they didn't take these long counts once in a while. No. They did. I mean, you know, they they took pitches, of course. Uh, but it was a, a different pace. Uh, and uh, and you would just... think, and you and you would think, Gary, just just to make this point that in today's society where everything is rush, 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 and we're in. We have instant gratification in terms of communication. Well, I called you. Well, you didn't call me back. I guess I'll text you. I'll text you. You know, I'll, I'll text you and I'll email you just in case you look at your email before the text. <laughs> right. Baseball's going the other way. They're saying, no, we'll make the games longer. Our behavior will make the games longer, which contradicts where we are as a society where we want things now. And there are games from 100 years ago, and I know it might be an unfair comparison, but if you go to games 100 years ago and look up the newspaper clippings, they were 90 minutes. They were 90 minutes. And I'm talking about before lights were installed. So if you went to a game in 1920 in Chicago, you could be back at your office. You could take a two-hour lunch, right? You could take a 15-minute walk to, to the ballpark, to Wrigley. Then you could go watch the game and then go back to your office. That's a different time. We, we don't have that anymore. But we can start recapturing some, some of it. I You know, it's interesting, though, because there was a study done by Major League Baseball, and they asked people that were at the stadium and they asked people that watch games on television. And the people that watch games on television said the games were too long. The people at the stadium said they were okay with the games. Now, I can understand that because you want to get in your seat, you want to relax, you want to, you know, there's lines at the concession stand and you got a 90 minute game. 
you're going to get yourself. <laughs> you might be online for a half an hour. So you're going to well, miss they, about they, a third of the game. But the stadiums have changed, right? So if you go to Yankee Stadium, their merchandise is enormous. The array of options that you have in that store is enormous. They want to keep you at the ballpark as much as possible. Right. Because the odds are you're going, you're going to drift into that Mets store and buy a T-shirt, buy a hat, buy a keychain, buy a pennant, buy something. The longer you are in the area, the more likely it is you're going to spend money on concessions as well. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have that focus years years ago, and I think you'll sell just as many pieces of, of merchandise in a two and a half hour game as you will in a three hour game. Yeah, I I think you would, but because uh, you can hang out after the game if you've got the time and and right. uh, uh, you know take care of that stuff. But uh, right, um, yeah, I. I don't know what the answer is. I think they need to go back and and watch some of these old games and be showing them the minor leaguers instead of yeah. trying all of these crazy shot clocks or pitch clocks and all of that kind of thing and right. automatic walks and, uh, yeah. you know, go back and actually research it. See what they did. Show the minor leaguers. Say, look, here's a game from – 30 years ago or 40 years ago it's not that long ago uh and and look how quick it went look what these guys did uh here's a willie mays here's a mickey mantle these guys are in the hall of fame you know um i don't know what the answer is and we're not going to solve it but uh Tell us about the. We spoke a lot uh, about things in in your book, uh, 1962. Uh, the other book we didn't mention too much. Uh, we did mention about Joan Payson. There's a lot right. in jo- about Joan Payson in your uh, first book, or the. Uh, was that your first? That was the first Mets book, or the New oh, York Mets yeah. in popular culture. Right, that's an anthology that I edited. I contributed mm-hmm. a couple of articles. We had great contributors uh, writing about other topics. We had a trio of professors from LaGuardia Community College writing about the rock concerts at Shea Stadium. And we had a, a film uh, a film historian and professor, Janine Basinger, write about the, um, the, the impact of, no, she, she, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm misattributing her. Uh, Bill Rysick wrote about Casey Stengel and uh, I wrote about the West Wing, uh, the, the characters of Josh and Toby. Josh was a Mets fan and Toby was a uh, Yankees fan. And I broke down their personas. Josh was optimistic. Josh was hopeful. Josh wanted a consensus. Josh saw the future for what it could be. And Toby was irascible and he felt entitled. He thought that every bill that went through the House of Representatives should pass. Uh, he, he felt that anyone was an affront to him if in the Bartlett White House, if, if they didn't vote their way. And, you know, how dare we not win? And that was a, that was a really interesting thing for me as a fan of the show to mm-hmm. go through. And there are several episodes where Josh says, you know, there's a Mets game on TV or how could the Mets lose? And Toby, the same thing. It, it was clear he was a Yankees fan. Um, we, we had people talking about Dave Kingman, Charlie Vassalaro who's a big Kingman fan as I am, uh, I asked him right away. I said, I could do this essay, you can do it better. 
you're more knowledgeable. Would you write about Dave Kingman? And that was that was special for me, Gary, because Kingman belongs in the Hall of Fame. That is my number one argument starter. And people can say that he only had a 236 batting average. I don't care if it was 136. He hit 442 home runs. That's an enormous amount. So the, the Mets in popular culture really runs the gamut of anything you can imagine in the Mets universe. Um, the, the best example I can give you is the history of Rheingold beer. Mm-hmm. We have a, 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 a curator from one of our finer institutes in New York who wrote about Rheingold and mentioned how it was the first beer sponsor for the Mets, but really traced the history of the beer and all these brewers coming over from Europe uh, in, the, in the mid 19th century. New York was a, a big brewery city. I always think oh. of Milwaukee. I didn't know that about New York until oh, I read yeah. her essay. So it, it really is a, a, a wonderful um, look at how diverse Mets pop culture is. And it, and it continued. I mean, uh, there are uh, lots of uh, mentions in pop culture. I know I was a big Nero Wolf fan. If you remember Nero Wolf, the detective. Oh, sure. And in the later years, uh, Archie Goodwin, who was his uh, uh, the, his leg man, the guy that did all the leg right. work, uh, was a Met fan, and he talked yeah. about I had box seats at Shea Stadium, and and took the train out you know uh so it's mentioned a lot and uh uh you know um but people don't know this they don't know the history and i think uh hopefully uh with books like you're putting out that you have out and uh with maybe steve cohen brings back some things um maybe uh we'll be able to get some of that history back I hope you know so. uh i hope so uh it's funny because the other day i was looking at something and uh i was looking at um it was um um oh gee the dodges uh uh branch ricky had uh, there was a picture of Branch Ricky and he had a uh, design on his desk of a dome stadium that they wanted right. to build in Brooklyn and this was in the late fifties I guess it was yeah. mid mid to late fifties and uh, that never happened and of course the Mets Shea Stadium was originally supposed to uh, have a dome I think or right. some sort of retractable dome and um, and of course. The first incarnation of City Field had a retractable dome, right. uh, as well as a retractable field. If you remember that first thing that yeah. they showed, uh, they were going to pull the field out like they have. I think it's in the University of Georgia that uh, and the Falcons play in is that stadium where they can pull the field out and have uh, a concrete floor and do all kinds of other events there and. Uh, um, I, think, I, think they... the picture, I think the picture you're referring to is the one with Walter O'Malley. Oh, is where, it with O'Malley? Yeah, it's a cutaway. If the, it's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah. It's a, a cutaway of a, of a dome where it, it would have revolutionized baseball. Uh, and look, who's to say? Who knows what Mr. Cohen will do with City Field? Maybe he will retrofit it. Maybe he'll knock it down and build a dome stadium. Anything can happen. 
Yeah. Well, we just got starting to get it at home, and uh, let's hope it lasts a while. I, hope so. I, I don't think we'll see it unless they do something like they did in the tennis center where they built the dome around right. it. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, let's hope that, uh, uh, let's hope we have baseball. So we have something to watch and to I'm go hoping. to. Uh, yeah. Well, David, this was great. Thanks again for your time. Thank it's you. always a pleasure. What are you, are you working on anything special now? Yeah. I'm working on a book about 1966, uh, roughly the same paradigm as 1962, a look at baseball and America in a very turbulent year and a very volatile year, but also a, an iconic year in culture and sports. I'm also working on a book about the Boston Red Sox in popular culture and a biography of Bo Belinsky, which wow. uh, as you know, the Belinsky story is mentioned prominently in 62. And every person I interviewed said, there's a book in here. There's a biography about Bo because there are a lot of stories you're not going to have room to print. Is there a good biography or a great biography of Joan Payson out there? Not that I have seen, and I have had people ask me if I want to do one, and it's something I'm considering. Uh, her story is a story about New York. It's a story about high society, and it's a story about baseball. It functions on a lot of different it, levels. Uh, New York has a, a special kind of high society. Um, it, 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 she, her family did so much for the city of New York and Long Island that people just don't recognize. Um, because to my understanding, the Paysons and the Whitney's were not people to celebrate what they did. They just did it. Mm -hmm. They just did it. And, and because they had that kind of wealth and they had that kind of influence, they said, okay, let, let's get something done. They approached it as business people from everything that I've read. It wasn't just, oh, here's a check, I'll put my name on the building. They really were a part of it. And uh, she's just a fascinating woman. Uh, you know, right now, Effa Manley is the only woman inducted into the Hall of Fame, but Joan deserves to be there. And I, I, I hope that it won't be too long before we see her. Do you think her cause was hurt by Marge shot no 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 not at all not okay. at all i just thought uh, the you know she she came off I, as so bad as an owner i think that, the pro yeah i know i i'm sorry go, go ahead gary no no that's i i i just i just wondered if they if it could have hurt uh other women owners uh that are that were before her I think the the problem that people like uh, people like us face, who if we want to advocate for somebody, is that they're lost to history. Mm -hmm. That the people today don't know, recognize, they're not curious. Uh, so if you advocate for Gil Hodges, uh, a forty year old baseball writer is not going to know who that is or not care. Um, same with Joan Payson or Roy Hofheinz, and it's our job to either start a letter writing campaign or write for Sabre or blogs or do what you're doing and educate and advocate and say, well, the, the game is built on the past. It's not built on the past 20 years. It's built on the past 120 years. Mm -hmm. 
So when, when people say to me, well, who cares about honoring some 19th century ball player? That 19th century ball player allowed the 20th century to happen. Now, maybe the rules aren't the same totally, and maybe the, they didn't have the same athleticism that they did today, but you have to judge players. And I think you'll agree, Gary, you have to judge them on their time. You have to judge them yes. on their time. You know, could Babe Ruth have hit Jacob deGrom? You know, Babe Ruth didn't face pitchers like Satchel Paige because of the color line. So we can have these kinds of, of debates, but the problem is getting the debates started and getting people interested who are at the BBWAA who vote on these things. And, and I don't know if it should be in the hands of writers anymore, beat writers. It should be in the hands of historians. I think there, there might be in the future consideration for a blue ribbon panel of scholars and historians to look at players and executives. Uh, what about non-players? Uh, Frank Job should be in the Hall of Fame. He mm -hmm. pioneered Tommy John surgery. Right, right. Right. How many careers has he saved? And Tommy John with 288 wins, not to make it a Hall of Fame discussion, but they should go in together. They should go in together. So there, these kinds of conversations, I, I assure you, are happening in Cooperstown at the annual symposium, at Sabre conferences. I'm the chair of the Northern New Jersey chapter. We're doing panels on them. We're doing open forums on them. So getting the conversations, but getting the people who have the power to bring them into the conversations, I think is equally important. Mm -hmm. Well, David, uh, as always, it was a fascinating discussion. I think we could talk for hours probably, Likewise. but uh, <laughs> we have to end it here. Uh, your books are 1962 Baseball in America in the time of JFK, the New York Mets in popular culture. You also have the New York Yankees in popular culture and Our Bums, a book about the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, yes. Of course, one of the most beloved uh, teams ever uh, in, in the history of baseball, if you lead. And I think uh, people should read that book even if you're not a Dodger fan or we're not, but it, it shows you some of the basis of baseball in New York in the Horace Stoneham oh, book. You if you read that, uh, you'll see about the Giants and and the love that the passion of those fans had. They were a little bit more, um, I don't want to say sophisticated, uh, but uh, they weren't as outgoingly passionate as the Brooklyn fans. Well, right. I think that's fair to say. And, and uh, But they were fans nonetheless, even to this day, that the New York Giants Preservation Society. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so all of that is very important if you want to know the history of the game. And David brings yeah. it to you in his books. And we try to bring it to you on this podcast when we can. Uh, David, again, thank you so much. And, and I'm sure we'll talk again down the line. Absolutely, Gary. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. I'll be right back. Oh, and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com.
Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Musings. On Twitter at Mets Musings GM. The Instagram is Mets Musings. And on YouTube at Mets Musings Mac. Wish to be a part of the show? Give us a call at 516 619 6341. I hope you enjoyed our guest, David Krell. He's got his fascinating uh, books out there. Go check it out. And, boy, we could talk for hours about the Mets and uh, baseball in general. But uh, go check out his books, uh, 1962, Baseball and America in the Time of JFK and the New York Mets in Pop Culture. They're interesting reads, and uh, you'll find them very informative. And I hope you enjoyed the interview we did with him, and I hope you'll join us again next time that we do an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe and like button, so that way you'll always be informed when a new episode is coming out. Uh, Same thing with the audio. If you're listening to an Apple podcast or Google Play or any podcast provider, uh, hit the subscribe button so you'll always be aware and informed when a new show comes out. Not much to report on the baseball front. Still no, uh, no movement on the CPA at all, but we'll keep you informed should that happen. And if you'd like to support the show, please go to anchor.fm slash Musings and it'll tell you how you can uh, uh, become a member of the team and uh, help support the show, as well as patreon.com slash Musings if you'd like to give a small donation to help us along. And until next time, remember to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings.